Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mike Sando, kind enough to join us. Mike writes for The Athletic and has a very interesting, compelling piece up about wide receivers and analysis, especially as it regards to the Hall of Fame. And this isn't a be-all, end-all. But, Mike, first of all, thanks for joining us. I appreciate the time. And I I love your thought process here in putting together a way to more aptly evaluate receivers. What what was your thought process in putting this up? First of all, tell us what the idea is, and then uh, tell us what your thought process was. Yeah, kind of, you know, being on the Hall of Fame committee, um, I look, I enjoy a good Hall of Fame debate like everybody, but I do feel like there's a lack of uh, set criteria. It's hard to have criteria for these players that might have played 50 years ago or 30 years ago or yesterday, right? So uh, what I came up with for the wide receivers was a way to contextualize that across the eras, and I decided to look at every receiver's best eight seasons and not just in the total amount of yards they had, but where it kind of ranked in that given year. I thought that would uh, reward Don Hudson for leading the league and receiving seven times, just as Jerry Rice did six times, even though they played many years apart. And so when I did that and looked at each receiver's eight best seasons, not in a row, and start their career, just whatever the eight best were, wherever you rank the highest, um, it did come out with Jerry Rice and Don Hudson one and two. Randy Moss was three. Steve Largent was five. I left out four. You know who number four was? It was Tory Holt. Who? Tory Holt. It was Tory Holt, who really I think has set up well for this because he he played a short, relatively short amount of time, but it was all elite, right? He didn't hang around for five more years, and you know, just compile a bunch of three hundred and five hundred and six hundred yard seasons that moved him up in the overall. Um, I this way sort of elim- this way of doing it eliminates that right. It just focuses on what we're really looking at for the Hall of Fame, which is what is your elite production. Mike, I think the thing that stands out to me most is even on no matter what metric you use, Jerry Rice seems to be the the consensus number one overall uh, receiver, and in some people's minds, the the greatest player to play the game of football of all time. Uh, what did you see? What did you learn about him when you were doing this this yeah. piece? I think what was helpful about Jerry Rice is he played so long and was uh, he he put up elite production. I think past age forty, he was mm-hmm. well over a thousand yards past age forty. But you know, I think you realize I came into this thinking ten years of elite production would be my guide. Did you, you know? Did you dominate for a decade? And even Jerry Rice, after seven eight years, you know the the, the seasons aren't at the top of the at the very top of the league. So I thought that was a good way to do this, make it eight years. Rice still comes out at the top, which he should, and he's tied with Don Hudson. They're both 999 uh, percentile averages for their top eight seasons. And, you know, I don't know if there was a ton to learn about him. I think 
you know, if Jerry Rice was 10th on the list, we'd know we had the wrong formula, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I like how it came out. Like, it, this made sense to me. When I looked at it, I go, ooh, this is the right people with some ones that you're, you know, I was like, okay, Tory Holtz a little higher than I thought. Jimmy Smith coming in yeah. in the top 20. Henry Ellard. God, the coaches from the Rams back then always used to tell me, I'm telling you, Henry Ellard, you know, and he mm-hmm. sort of came in with Eric Dickerson and they, they ran the ball a lot. But the minute Dickerson left, he led the league in receiving. So I like I, I like this. Like, we learn, but, you know, it, the right people are up there with a few people that you go, aha, on, you know? Mike, one of the other aspects to this that I find intriguing, and it's four receivers in particular, that Holt is four and Isaac is 18, despite that they overlapped between 99 and 08, and that both Marvin Harrison and Reggie Wayne are in the top 10, despite having overlapping careers. Yeah, that is amazing. I mean, you know, some of that is probably being in a high-volume pass offense with enough to go around. I think if they had been in a low-volume pass offense, maybe that maybe they wouldn't have, uh, uh, you know, been able to to be so high in the league rankings while on the same team together. And I think that's a, you know, one of the things about doing this is you still don't. This isn't just what you have to do to get in the Hall of Fame. This is a way to evaluate the elite production, and then within that, you can say you know, this guy just was in a different type of offense. Maybe maybe that boosted, you know, I'm sure that boosted Holt or that boosted uh, the, the Colts guys right a little bit. One of the other ones I wanted to touch on, and he's near and dear to our hearts here in St. Louis, is that of all the receivers that have played in the NFL, I think a really underrated guy is Roy Green because Roy, he had 1,555 receiving yards in 1984. He was and Daryl Green always said he was the toughest guy he ever had to go against. Roy Green's number 81. I'm glad that he found his way into the top 100 here. I do see him on that. It's interesting because, you know, we, we're all familiar with Roy Green, good good receiver. But this tells you that basically he had he led the league in receiving once. He had three pretty elite years and then, you know, some good years. So that that's a nice way of just kind of contextualizing that production and, and if you wanted to make a case for him or talk about him we, there's many things about him that made him him besides his production right we could talk about his routes we could talk about what he brought to the locker room we could talk about all of those things but this is just a sort of a good way of looking at hey a yard is a yard this way because we are able to put it in the context of who they played with and by the way mike i'll tell you a story that jim hannafin used to tell us Roy Green came here as a safety, wore number 25, and wow. they lined him up because they had injuries at wide receiver, lined him up during the regular season at wide receiver. He caught a touchdown pass, had an interception, and Hanny went to his offensive coordinator and said, hey, Roy's starting the next week. It was like the fifth game of the season. Never having played receiver, his second week of playing receiver in football, and he's starting at wide receiver for the St. Louis Cardinals. Isn't that amazing? You know, I think what I so much appreciate about that is just think how talented somebody would have to be to do that. You know, the, the people that come into the NFL uh, are incredibly talented. That's amazing. So, and a lot of them probably played multiple positions in their past, right, in high school. I'm sure they were the best guys in their team. But that is amazing to, to come in and make a switch like that and not just make it, but to be an all-pro twice, you know, to be a pro bowler twice, to lead the league in receiving um, as, he, as he did. In fact, he led the league in uh, touchdowns as well one year. 
Mike, I want to shift gears a little bit to an article you and uh, Zach Kiefer wrote about Bob Sanders and, and how he changed yeah. the Colts' defense. Uh, I played with Bob at, at, at um, Indianapolis my rookie year. We played against each other. I went to Illinois. He was at Iowa. Can you speak on just what yeah. he was and how he was uh, as a player? Because I think a lot of people forget about Bob Sanders when you talk about yeah. the elite safeties in the game in the NFL. Ultimate X factor. So I think the greatest example of his greatness was there was a season, the season that the Colts won the Super Bowl with Peyton Manning. Um, they ranked 32nd on defense that year. They had some games. Uh, they had a game where they gave up almost 300 yards rushing or something like that to Jacksonville. But Bob Sanders was out. Mm-hmm. And they got Bob Sanders back for the playoffs, and they played elite defense throughout the playoffs. Shut down Kansas City, had, I believe, you know, Larry Johnson, that are a great running game. Uh, and they won the Super Bowl. And people don't realize this. Peyton Manning in the playoffs had three touchdowns and seven interceptions in the playoffs. It's not even talked about. If they had had a bad defense, they never would have won it. They might have never won a Super Bowl in Indy all those years with Peyton Manning. So he was an incredible X factor who was like a like a meteor. You know, he was there and gone. And obviously, he didn't play. They only played about fifty games. But when he played, he changed completely changed the complexion of the defense and their game and. To me, is the is the X factor for you know Peyton Manning needs to have a have a special spot you know in his heart for Bob Sanders because it takes a team it takes a team you can't be horrific on defense and win a Super Bowl you you still need the quarterback but you can't be horrific and he made them so good I've I almost never seen any one person make a defense go like that yeah it was it's rare and maybe he is the unicorn. That an offense can or a defense can be so good with a guy there, and then he's he's gone, and the defense is gone, right? Yeah, and Tony Dungy would say, "Hey, look, it was this and that. It wasn't, you know." He would try to talk about the team, but I I, I don't know. I just noticed when he showed up, and he was such a violent player. You know, you can kind yes. of see maybe why his body didn't hold up. I mean, he you had to know where he was going to be. And that's the thing. It wasn't like they were hiding him. You know, you sort of it wasn't like Ed Reed where he showed up, you know, in a puff of smoke, and then he was over somewhere else. Bob Sanders was like, I'm right here, and I'm going to hurt you right now on this play. <laughs> and he did. <laughs> and, and, and at 5'8", 205 pounds, you would not think yeah. that someone that compact would be able to in, in, <laughs> induce the amount of fear yeah. that he did. But I had teammates who <laughs> knew where Bob Sanders was at all times <laughs> and were, were quite aware of his capabilities and when he was coming to tackle you and what he was going to hey. do to you. In college, they had to take him out of drills or stop doing the certain drills because he was going to hurt people, you know, in the practice. Some guys are like that. You yeah. know, there, there's two different types of guys who play hard in practice. There's the guy everyone hates because he's not that good and he's trying to impress <laughs> the coaches. And then there's the guy, there's the guys like Bob Sanders or Kenny Easley or think of the guys, you know, they just have one way to play and they don't know any other way and you better just get out of the way. Hey, Mike, I got a question because you're based in the Pacific Northwest and obviously Drew Locke is a Mizzou guy. Uh, Might be an answer that Mizzou fans don't want to hear. How's Drew Locke looking? You know, uh, I think he's looked okay. Uh, I think they're slow playing. I think he's going to start for the Seahawks. I think they... Pete Carroll has a lot of respect and regard for Geno Smith and the, the player and teammate. They're really going to not just flip it over, thank to Drew play, but I think the expectation is that, you know, unless he really stumbles in preseason, that they're going to give him a, a chance and give him a long look this year and find out. You know, I think most people think it's the glass half empty for him, um, you know, and so we'll see. They're going to probably – 
you know, try to run the ball, take the ball out of his hands a little bit, try to play some decent defense and make it a little bit easier for him and get, you know, something out of him as a guy who's at least athletic. You know, I think his decision-making has certainly been questionable, um, and you can see why Denver was willing to move on from him. And you can see why he's, you know, he and Geno Smith are the last two guys in my quarterback tiers pool of the 15 mm-hmm. coaches. <laughs> but, but, you know, I think with a lot of these guys, you get a, you, you'll get another chance if somebody liked you coming out, right? Because the quarterback position is so, there's so few of them. So this is his last chance, you know, and, and they're not betting big on him because they have a bunch of picks next year. I think most people think they'll be looking for a quarterback next year, but he's going to get a legit shot. Mike Sando, always good to hear your voice, and we will reconvene as the NFL season unfolds. Have a great day, and we'll talk to you soon. You too, thanks. Thank you, Mike Sando of The Athletic. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, BetOnline for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.